Welcome to the Red Eye Manifesto, a weekly travel podcast designed not only to inspire fresh ideas when it comes to avenues of adventure, but also to address some of the most seemingly tantalizing aspects of the traveling lifestyle itself. Stop by weekly as we recount times of travel's past and unveil a series of tips for making travel duly enjoyable as it can be economical. The world is a beautiful place. And worth fighting for, and I hate very much to leave it. Now, who said that? Was was that Hemingway? Yeah, it's like, we get it, bro. But the dude has a point though, right? I mean, the end is inevitable. So here at Red Eye Manifesto, we seek to inspire, encourage, and revive the lost and worried traveler by debunking the terror and price tags often involved when it comes to traveling. All right, so last week we discussed the chaos of finding your way through England with a few quick stories about London. We met up with a girl Kyle knew from back home and played the Dutch version of King's The Glass of Absinthe, but today we're going to bend your ear to the tune of Paris. And it won't be a very long story this week, because after the days in travel, we only spend a solid day there. We're also going to be talking about the Parisian Blitzkrieg. Then, on the review of the week, we'll tell you where to grab some quick and refreshing grub more than suitable for a day's worth of walking, and where to crash if you're looking to hit up Moulin Rouge in style. And as always, thank you all for the support, and if you haven't done so already, go over to our website at redeyemanifesto.com, and we're handing out some free stickers. We got about 45 of these bad boys left, and we're eager to get rid of them, and free shipping as always. And we also want to say thank you to the 48 loyal followers on Instagram and to the 28 of you on Twitter. Simply following along with us on any or all of our social media platforms really goes a long way. And if you enjoy the show, you can always help us grow by subscribing on iTunes and leaving us a review. Each review you leave pushes us higher into the top charts, and that's where we can begin providing you with higher quality episodes and special travel discounts. And in just 27 days, we hit the road for a highly anticipated Alaskan odyssey, so we call it. And from there, we'll be taking off through the Canadian wilderness on our way to the last frontier. And again, this is not something you guys are going to want to miss. Because each day, we're going to be broadcasting live from the car. And each day, we're going to make a new episode to listen and to watch on our YouTube channel. Look for some ice field hiking Alaskan mountain biking, and a sea kayaking trip, so stay tuned. So, uh, you ready to move us into Paris, Kyle? Hell, ready as I'll ever be. We spent a total of eight hours on the bus from London to Paris, and not only was it painful to the body, but it was sad to see a beautiful city transpire through the window, a day we'd never get back, let alone in Europe. And the bus never stopped. From London to Folkestone, we made it to the entrance of the channel, and from there proceeded to hand over our passports to the French authorities. Once stamped, our driver steered the bus onto the train, and we dipped down under the channel and into Coquelle, France. By the time that we saw signs for Paris, it was already sundown, and we laced up our bags and just put them over our shoulders. We had enough time to find the metro and to decipher what we could of the French that scrawled endlessly upon the surfaces of the city. Unlike other cities in Europe, Paris doesn't offer any English translations on the signs. So it's crucial to at least brush up on the bare necessities before getting there. Things like, do you speak English? Est-ce que tu parles le français? Or, hello, I would like, you would say, bonjour, je voudrais. Um, it, things like that can get you a long way. And not only that, but... You can get a proper understanding for directions as well. Uh, to say, where is, you want to know. Uh, in French, you would say, où est? Or, can you help me? You would say, pouvez-vous m'aider? Luckily, uh, as it so happens, I tried my best to brush up on a few things on the eight-hour bus ride into France. But still, I was far from perfect. 
Anyways, the Metro works the same way as it would anywhere else. You pop by the ticket machine, which thankfully has English options, and you buy a one-way ticket for two euros. From there, pull up a map and find the quickest route to the station nearest your hostel, which in our case was on Vare. So, from the Wasebu stop, we jumped on to the Opera and headed north. We switched lines at Nation, and pulling up at the peak of the nightlife, we emerged on the on Vare station. Moulin Rouge is more than a popular movie directed by Baz Luhrmann, and it's even bigger than just a playhouse. It's an actual district clad with strip clubs, sex shops, and gaudy vaudeville bars for miles. In the morning and afternoon, it's not so bad though, but come nighttime, it's a roaring sex machine fueled on ethanol and sin. And seeing as we had our entire lives still strapped to our backs, we had to unload before we could play, so we headed off down Place d'Anvers and hooked a Ralphie down Rue Rodier. Even at night, the architecture spoke to us. Don't get me wrong, Dublin and London were sure beautiful cities, but the way the starlight blended into the chisels and swoops of every facade was a welcoming sight to the monotone blur of the countryside from a tour bus. And the hostel from the outside was no exception. As we approached, it was clear our building was caked in a mode of delicate preservation, and as we entered through the door, it was a cool, collected sight of the familiar. Fellow travelers surfing the web or recording daily memories received in the format of blogs. The concierge was a pretty chill bro and checked us in without a hitch. There wasn't a curfew, per se, but apparently the Wi-Fi shut down when the office closed up for the night, so we had to plan accordingly. Which sucked because we only had two nights reserved before scoring our motorcycle reservations in Prague. So if we hoped to catch a plane into the Czech Republic, we had to get a move on before prices skyrocketed and we either A, lost our deposit, or B, had to fork over a top dollar for a last minute seat. In the end, we settled for planning over bar hopping, which meant that we'd lost an entire day of travel, but so it be. You're going to have days like this when you're flying off the cuff, and it was better, in our opinion, because we didn't have to worry about any of the nitty-gritty stuff on our one solid day in Paris. And plus, we knew we were going to stay out late the following night, so there was no need in being redundant or overly dissatisfied with our commitment. All right, so we can get tickets to Prague at about $75 out the door. Oof, that's a little more than I was thinking, man. Do you really want to go through another day's worth of bus ride? Jeez, I, I don't know if I could. Well, it's already done. Booked. And the hostel was a place on the outskirts of town with banging reviews and rock-bottom rates, so that was sealed up nicely. I don't know about you, man, but I'm ready to hit the hay. No kidding. We'll map out the walking tour in the morning. Night, dude. Good night. We awoke pretty early in the morning of day two, and for a good reason. First, we didn't want to skip breakfast, and two, we had a walking tour to map out. So we rolled out of bed and down to the office where the hostel's entire population was up and about, smashing buttered croissants and bowls of Parisian cocoa puffs. The lady at the counter told us, one croissant per person, please, but I stole at least a dozen of them. I mean, really, one croissant? I'm going to need at least eight of those if I'm going to make it to lunchtime. And besides, at $25 a night, I better be paying for unlimited croissants. Thank you. So how does this sound to you? From here, we walk to the Arch de Triomphe, passing Moulin Rouge in the daytime, and from there we'll sneak up on the Eiffel Tower from the east. There, we can take a stroll down the Seine and across Pont du Art into Tuileries Garden, before finally making our way to the Louvre. If we have time after, there's always Notre Dame and Latin quarters. Oh, and you can hike up to Mamart if your feet aren't killing us by then. Sick. Sounds epic. Count me in. And from there, we can just play by ear. Maybe check out some of the cafes in Moulin Rouge and grab a bite to eat. 
for sure. And from there, we set off. Now, if you're willing to shell out about 100 euros, by all means, go catch a show at the Notorious Moulin Rouge. It was a landmark, after all, in its earlier years, offering a series of rotating cabaret shows and drink. But these days, it's just more of a tourist attraction. Still, it was a breaking ground establishment that led to the introduction of cabaret throughout all of Europe, and its deep red pulse in the center of the district is still a pleasant sight to see, provided it won't put you too far out of the way of your walking tour, what with its invalid windmill mounted permanently to the roof and all the flashy neon signs. But at 100 euros, we weren't drinking the Kool-Aid, so we hoofed it a mile west to feast our eyes on the Arc de Triomphe. It's a pretty impressive monument. Yeah, and it's stationed in the center of a hectic roundabout, which you definitely don't see that in textbooks growing up. But there's a few ways to approach the monument. First, whatever you do, don't try crossing the street to check it out. It's illegal, and not only that, but just plain dangerous. You will definitely get hit if you try to cross the street. And we weren't kidding when we said it's hectic. Cars continuously circle at incredible speeds, and they have security guards on the lookout for jaywalkers. They designed it to be so that admission could be charged. So if you want to get a chance to see the arc up close and personal, you're going to have to duck down into one of the tunnels and pay the toll. But if you want to spend the cash, it'll only cost you about 8 euros, or 5 if you're a student, between the ages of 18 and 25, mind you. Seeing it as we are budget travelers, you all know and love, we skipped it, which ain't no thing, because it's really a gorgeous sight from a distance as well as from proximity. Then we headed off for the Eiffel Tower, which only grew to become larger and more impressive with each and every step. The wrought iron lattice was constructed as the entrance to the 1889 World's Fair, and it took a ton of criticism before it came to be the iconic monument and symbol for not only Paris, but for all of France. With almost 7 million visitors a year, it's by far the most heavily trafficked attraction in Paris, but as per usual, you'll have to pay in order to get to the top. And that'll run you 17 euros, provided the workers aren't on strike. So make sure you do some research before you plan your entire day around the tower. I know, I know. It seems like everything you do in Paris costs you 10 euros or more. And so it's important to decide what you want to do and to not bite off more than you can chew. If you're on a budget, you really need to pick your poison. And maybe just admire it from afar, like these iconic monuments. But at the end of the day, remember that a trip to Paris could be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and if you really want to spend the extra dollar getting to know these iconic monuments, then do it. Traveling is all about you and making the most of it. And spending the cash to see these things are really going to stretch out your days. Kyle and I only had a day in Paris, so we only saw the bare necessities and didn't spend as much time at each place. So, respecting our time constraint, we took off to the Seine and research for the Louvre. But in getting there, make sure you take the path through Tillery's Garden, a once private garden for French monarchs such as King Henry II before eventually being opened to the public in 1667, as a public park after the French Revolution over a hundred years later. You'll pass incredible fountains and impressive marble sculptures as you head for the Louvre, along with tiny ponds and public sitting areas where locals will sit and feed the pigeons with whatever scraps of food they have at their disposal. And it's tiny little pockets like these that a budget traveler lives for. A beautiful public space where a person can relax and soak up the atmosphere. But always stay alert. It's places like these that have become a breeding ground for pickpocketers and other con artists. Never give your personal information to strangers that approach you on the street. I know it sounds like common sense, but a lot of times they're just a distraction for another member of their team to sneak up and loot you from behind. So don't fall for it. Even children, wave them off or ignore them altogether. It's not worth getting your only sources of income stolen from you. 
I can't tell you the amount of people that we met along our travels that were victims of this. So be careful. And one of the most common schemes I've seen is a little kid will run up to you and either spill something for you or spill something on you or knock you and, you know, they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, mister. And you're like, oh, it's okay. And meanwhile, while you're giving your attention to the kid, their parent or other business partner, if you want to call it, uh, will come up behind you and take your wallet. But luckily enough, we made it through unscathed and into the plaza of the Louvre. And you'll see its giant glass pyramid marking her entrance. And seeing as we hadn't spent a dime to do anything as of yet, we saw no problem in forking over the nine euros necessary to get in this time. I mean, after all, you're going to see the Mona Lisa. But if you're on the fence about going in and not looking to shell out the nine euro entrance fee, you're in luck. Here's how to get in for free. Go on the first Sunday of any given month. It's absolutely free. If you don't think you'll be there on the first Sunday... Here's your best bet. They also offer free admission to job seekers, meaning have a, quote, proof dating from less than six months, according to the website. So what I would do, simply put your resume on Google Drive, pull it up, and show it to them saying, hey, I'm looking for a job. And it's, uh, you know, it's as simple as that. You'll get in for free. But really, nine euros is a nominal fee to pay for perhaps one of the most iconic and impressive museums in the world. It, hands down, I think was the best investment we made, and for nine euros, it's going to be hours worth of entertainment and history at your fingertips. And while the Mona Lisa is cool and all, remember, that's not the only famous painting in the plaza. It was actually pretty funny because you'll walk in, you'll keep seeing signs for the Mona Lisa, and people blindly walk through the halls with their eyes focused in front of them, looking for the Mona Lisa, ignoring all these beautiful, impressive masterpieces on the side. Yeah, I mean, and it's, I mean, the Mona Lisa is not the only one there, and I mean, it's far from it. Uh, Please take a moment if you're going to go to the Louvre to grab a map and scout out Eugene Delacroix's Liberty Leading the People and Michelangelo's The Dying Slave. Also, two of my personal favorites are Da Vinci's Virgin of the Rocks and Caravaggio's Death of the Virgin. But really, the Louvre is so large that you could easily spend an entire day walking through its elaborately decorated halls built only of the stuff your imagination could render. Every nook and cranny is filled with every single type of art from every corner of the world and time period that you could think of so take your time and find your inspiration they have everything from paintings to sculptures to ancient egyptian artifacts and after spending a solid three hours walking through the museum our feet were killing us and we left having only seen only i mean having only seen an eighth of what the entire place had to offer but we only had a day and the rest of the city begged for our attention so we crossed on over into the heart of the city to see the notre dame cathedral Notre Dame meaning Our Lady, and it may surprise you to know that there are several Notre Dame cathedrals set up all across France, but due in part to Victor Hugo's novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and also to the elaborate architecture and detail carved into the stone structure, it's another must-see destination on a walking tour of Paris. It's free to get into the actual cathedral, but if you want to take a tour to the top, it'll cost you, of course. This is Europe, after all. So we just settled on getting inside and took a look around. They sell candles once you're inside for a couple euros apiece, and you can either light them there or take them home with you. So I picked up a few for good luck, and we hightailed it out of there, over to the Latin quarters where we'd see a late lunch at Pret-a-Manger and recharge our devices for whatever was to ensue. I don't know about you, man, but I was pretty tired at that point. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, Paris is a huge city. And even with all the walking we did, there was still a ton we hadn't seen yet. Yeah, and I don't know what everyone was saying about the people being rude, but I haven't met a single one yet. Yeah, and I kind of only regret staying for two days. Of all the cities out there, this is the one that I really wish we would have spent more time in. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, we had to get to the Czech Republic in the morning. Otherwise, we would have lost our motorbike reservation, and that simply was not an option. No, sir. That was the meat and the potatoes of the trip right there, renting the motorcycles. So, we headed back home to the hostel and freshened up to catch a whiff of what exactly Paris looked at looked like at midnight. We headed back through the Esplanade des Invalids in Palace Bourbon, and just after crossing the bridge, we immediately casted our eyes on the beautiful place that was Place de la Concorde, the largest public square in Paris. The space was decorated with fountains, statues, an Egyptian obelisk, and even a scene of executions. We decided to catch the metro back over to Anvers, but not before grabbing a few Heinekens to pass the time, and to course our fellow travelers into conversation. And as we sat around sipping a few brews we picked up on the walk back home, we struck up conversation with a pretty cool Indian chick from England. She was studying in Scotland for the semester and asked if we'd mind her tagging along with us that night. By all means, not really sure what it is exactly we're going to get ourselves into, but I'll have some nice company at least. And so we talked about television, film, and foreign politics, then a Chinese bro from Texas joined in, and a dude from Australia to mellow out the group. Well, you guys ready to hit it? Hell yeah, and we were off, heading up through Montmartre, and stopping at a late night cafe for a few beers that ran us a total of nine euros apiece. Damn, Paris, it's like, we get it, you're expensive, but you could at least take it easy on us next time, right? The atmosphere was pretty chill and the staff quite pleasant, with plenty of outdoor seating to people watch and chat with the others in our group. But at nine euros a drink, we weren't destined to stay, so we hit up the strip and we passed through the roaring nightlife of Moulin Rouge in its prime. Now, if you're brave enough to venture out down the Moulin Rouge in the middle of the night, be prepared for street callers and also to be heckled into stopping into one of their several establishments for a dirty sex show. Hold your horses, Dylan. Now, these sex shows are essentially just glap dances, but the cost of admission, probably throwing a few watered-down drinks to sweeten the deal. Seeing as we had the chick with us, we decided to be a waste of our hard-earned cash and time. So we lost the Australian and bro from Texas to their vices and hopped into a few more conventional bars with our Indian counterpart. We shot the into hours of the night and then headed back into the bars until they closed. It's crazy, but I don't even think I remember her name. Do you still keep in contact with her? No, not at all, but she was really cool. Yeah, what a shame. I agree, and especially in our day and age, it's so easy to keep in contact with everyone. I mean, why didn't we? Well, I'm not sure, but I think that sums it up, don't you? So, let's break it down and dive into the dirty. Alright, so uh, what, what would you say we learned from all of this, Kyle? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is how big the language barrier is there. The first two countries we talked about in this series so far have been Ireland and England, which are obviously English-speaking countries, but later on we're going to talk about our time in Italy and Spain and the Czech Republic, but... France, out of all of them, I think had the biggest language barrier when it came to just using the city and getting around. I mean, there, it was not translated into English as it is a lot of other places. 
Yeah, and you also don't want to come across as being ignorant to another person's culture or another person's language. So when you go over there, it's important to kind of try to make at least an effort to speak French, whether that be asking them if they speak English and French before conducting the rest of your conversation in English. It's really going to go a long way, and I think that's why we had such positive feedback from the people in France as opposed to the other experiences that were kind of shared with us from people along the way. And a lot of these people it kind of seem can be weary of American tourists because, you know, if you were living in a city that had a lot of tourists, you could see the negative side of it all. So, yeah, you're totally right, man. Like, the more you try to learn of the language, and you certainly did your due diligence more than I did, but at least people at that point know that, you know, they're trying and they're coming into our country and trying to speak our language. Yeah, again, it goes a long way. And another thing is that you don't want to cram only a few hours into the Louvre. If you're going to pay to get in there, at least spend a good half a day in the Louvre, kind of soaking up everything. Maybe take a break for lunch and come back. But again, don't think that you're going to walk into the Louvre and spend three hours and be done with it. It's not like most art museums where there's one or two things you want to go see and just check it out and leave. This is just truly something else. And at only nine euros, this is easily a half day's worth of an activity so yeah, there's there's a lot of things that I would go back and want to see again and truly digest it and you know download the app that they have and listen to the history and read all about the artists and the importance of the works that are there. Which brings us to the next point, the Eiffel Tower. Uh, what are what's your takeaway about this, Dylan? You know, the Eiffel Tower is cool and all, and I hear that the view from the top of the Eiffel Tower is absolutely incredible. But I don't really think it's worth almost, you know, 20 euros to get on up there. My personal opinion, just kind of hang out there under the Eiffel Tower for a little bit. You know, catch it at a couple different directions and a couple different angles. Snap your photos and then try to come back at night. Because usually, I think that the Eiffel Tower does a light show each and every night. And you can actually sit out there on the lawn. You can drink alcohol on the lawn. No one's going to say anything to you. Um... So that's really my take on the Eiffel Tower. What would you say? For the price that you'd pay to get inside of the Eiffel Tower and to go to the top, it's just not worth it because looking at it up close, and you can get right to the base of it where they are issuing tickets to go up, and it's just a really good sight. We went in mid-May, summertime, lots of tourists out, and it was pretty much shoulder to shoulder. But if you go at nighttime, yeah, it's you get a way better view up close and personal. But if you go in at night, beware because there's going to be guys peddling alcohol and selling it out of like their backpacks, these little bags. It's unclean and chances are it's been stored in some pretty filthy areas around town. These are not people working for the Eiffel Tower. No, absolutely not. They're just random people that are going around. They probably don't have a lot of money. And so they make their money kind of selling these beers or these pops or these bottles of wine for, you know, anywhere from a euro to two euros in profit. And, you know, it's kind of hard to brush them away because they won't really leave you alone and they'll try to heckle with you and haggle with you in order, you know, for you to eventually buy what they want. Be persistent and be confident and be assertive and just tell them, no, I don't want any of it. Uh, Just because, you know, you don't want to get any kind of weird germs when you're over there and you also don't want to be supporting that kind of business that's going around the Eiffel Tower. doesn't really seem that it's enforced or if it is, it's not enforced very well from a lot of these touristed destinations like around the Eiffel Tower, even when we were at the beach in Barcelona, there's going to be people trying to sell you drugs 
and alcohol and, you know, massages with a question or with quotation marks. So just ignore them. They're going to know you're an American tourist and that's who they prey on. So just go on about your day. But the next point is always have some emergency food with you because you're probably only going to be eating about two meals a day. I mean, that's what Dylan and I were doing because it's expensive. But doing all that walking and burning all those calories, you're going to want a snack. And if you get a snack at a restaurant, it's going to just dip into that budget even more. So go to the grocery store, just a convenience store where it's going to be cheaper and get some granola bars and throw it in your backpack so you'll be good for the day. Granola bars, nuts, anything that's going to give you, take up a very little amount of space and then also give you a ton of energy along the road. One place that I really think Kyle and I screwed up was we didn't have a lot of emergency food in our packs when we were on the bus ride from London to Paris. I mean, it didn't stop. The bus was nonstop from London to Paris, and so we didn't have a chance to eat lunch. We didn't have a chance to eat dinner. I think I was able to muster up one little package of peanuts, and Kyle and I had to share it between the two of us, and it was uh, it was not pleasant. The bus that you'll take from London to Paris, if you do take that route, there's going to be this giant mega tourist stop gas station thing where it's going to be the most outrageous prices on snacks. So think ahead of time. I think Dylan and I did a pretty good job at that, but we could still improve when you can't think about it as the next 24 hours. It's always good to think ahead. And if you're saying, oh, I'm going to be in a more expensive city tomorrow, you might try to buy snacks ahead of time and then bring them with you. Or not just snacks, any other thing or amenities that you might need. Another thing is once you get to your hostel, be aware that some hostels have curfews. And in order to see if your hostel is going to have a curfew, you can always, you know, it'll tell you on hostelworld.com or or booking.com or hostels.com, whatever. They will tell you if the hostel has a curfew. And in our opinion, we will say avoid those. Because you are an adult and you're going to want to be walking around at all hours of the night if you so choose. And so what's the point of barring yourself out of the nightlife? If you don't have to. And speaking of hostels, if it's a decent one, they'll move heaven and earth to make you happy since they run on reviews. I mean, when you go into hostelworld.com, the first thing you're going to sort it by besides price is going to be by reviews because you don't want to stay at a place that people have negative things to say about. So don't be afraid to ask for simple favors like printing out your boarding pass, pointing out great places to eat or drink, or just asking what's fun to do that day because they're going to go out of their way to try to make you ultimately leave them a good review. Also, you're going to have down days if you're trying to travel on a budget. Don't let them discourage you. As you kind of heard in Kyle and I's story this week, we had an entire day's worth of travel. We spent eight hours on the bus ride into Paris. That ate up a large chunk of the day. And then on top of that, we had to spend a couple hours planning for our next leg of the trip. If you're flying off the seat of your pants, you really don't have a lot of time to be investing. It's going to be this out of me between having to plan your next vacation and then also enjoying the one you're currently on. But don't let your down days get you too down because you can always use that time that you're traveling or outside of the hours of operation of these cities usually, meaning you know if it's too late to go out and do something or if it's too early to go out and get a bite to eat, you can always use that time to your advantage. Dylan and I, easier said than done, most of the time we're trying to plan our next move before it happened. So if we had some downtime, we were looking at our flights to the next city or looking to book a hostel for our next destination. So you can always use it to your advantage, but, you know, Wi-Fi is king in these situations. So try to be in a place that you can use Wi-Fi. Yeah, another thing that's good to have on you at all times is a major credit card, just in case. 
When Kyle and I went over there, we used mostly debit cards the whole time. And personally, mine never worked uh, to book the plane tickets. So Kyle had to book every single one of the plane tickets, and I had to pay him back in cash for every plane ticket he bought me. You know, sometimes I would have to make this up with paying for his half of the hostel, or I would have to make up for buying him lunch and dinner while it worked out in the end, but at the same time, it's a little hectic, and you really want to buy your own things yourself, and you know, there's less chance of a mistake happening, and it's just very important to have a credit card just in case, because not all places, not every country over there is going to accept your debit card from a local bank in your hometown. That definitely brings up uh, two things I just want to talk about real quick. I don't think it was around when we went there, but it's I use it. It's called Venmo, and you can just put money between your bank account and your friends. You just hook up your debit card, and you know you could even use a debit card that isn't linked to your European expenditures. Like When I was buying the plane tickets for both of us, it would have been handy if Dylan had Venmo and he could just send me that cash right away and it's still in USD and it still is not really affected by transaction fees foreign that is and then the second thing is make sure you alert your bank before you go we've talked about this in our last episode with using the ATMs but I can't stress that enough because your account is going to get frozen and shut down if you don't tell them because they're going to say, hey, if you live in Ohio, why is there a charge showing up in Paris? So all you have to do is call up your bank and list off the country specifically that you're going to be in. Yeah, and it's best to do that before you leave because by the time you're in Europe, it's almost too late because your cell phone won't be able to make calls. And in order for you to call internationally to your bank, you'll have to borrow one of the phones from the hostel, which could run you if it is going to be an international call. However, if you do have Skype... You can call any 1-800 number from Skype absolutely free. You do not need any form of Skype credit to call. So keep that in mind. You can also uh, you know, just hop on the Wi-Fi, open up your Skype app, and type in any 1-800 number, and you'll be able to talk as if you were in the United States or literally anywhere else in the world. And speaking of communication abroad, if you have an iPhone, obviously iMessage works via Wi-Fi and does not affect your phone bill at all. I remember I just took my phone out, stinked my contacts with iTunes, and I was able to use iMessage over there. But if you don't, if you're running an Android or another type of phone... You can use an app called WhatsApp, and a lot of people, its predominant market is in Europe, and that's just, it generates an actual number that you can use. So over there, it'd be a European number, and you can talk to people from back home or even in Europe. So it's a pretty cool free app, and it's one of those things that just keeps you running and feels makes you feel a little less far from home. Absolutely, and Paris is going to be expensive uh, for food, for alcohol, for everything, so be prepared for it. The best way you can save money is to eat breakfast before you go to save for bigger meals. Kyle and I, we would always garbage up on the breakfast that was provided for us at the hostel, regardless of how you know measly it seemed to be. We just kind of like gritted our teeth and got through it because it was a free meal. And if we didn't spend any money on breakfast, we had $15 to divvy up or 15 euros to divvy up between each meal that we were going to eat over there. So again... Always take advantage of free meals if you can. Dylan, would you say that Paris was the most expensive city on this trip? By far. After Paris, it was literally all downhill. It was a tie between Paris and London. But mostly London was kind of got us because we were dealing with the pound sterling over there instead of the euro. So that exchange rate really killed us when we came over from the USD. But getting back to Euro Paris using the euros, it was 
almost as bad as it was in London. So I'd say those are the two most expensive cities we traveled to. Yeah, and we'll dive into our finances and exactly how much we spent in this, this next part. But just be aware, Paris is just expensive, and that's just the name of the game. But there's some loopholes and some other workarounds that we'll talk about to make it a little less harsh on your wallet. Okay, so speaking of our wallet, let's talk about money. We spent $60 on food and $50 on lodging. Those were the two biggest expenses. Let's break that down a little bit. For food, that's $30 a day. As we kind of have been explaining time in and time out in this podcast, is we usually, for this Europe trip, we budgeted about $30 for food a day. Some days we would spend less, some days we would spend more. In the end, it kind of averaged itself out. If we were going to do it again, we would have invested more, but for this trip, it was $30 a day times two days, that's $60. Now, our lodging was $25 a night per person. So total, Kyle and I paid about $50 a person for two nights, and that was at the Woodstock Hostel in the Moulin Rouge district. In our last episode, we talked about London and how it doesn't really matter where you stay because it's so accessible by the underground. But here in Paris, if, um, if memory serves me correctly... It was a little more spread out, and the destinations via the metro weren't as close. So we kind of paid a little bit more to stay close to the city center because it was still walkable to the metro. At the end of the day, $25 is just okay. It's definitely cheaper in some other areas, but for Paris, that's a pretty good deal. It's going to be really hard to beat $25 a night in Paris. I think the second time I went, it was closer to $50 a night for a, uh, you know, for a decent hostel near the city center. Now, for fun, I really only think we had the one thing that we did there, the one entertainment thing, and that was the Louvre. The Louvre is absolutely worth it, as we previously talked about, and that was nine euros. And other than that, the other, you know, we keep saying iconic monuments because these cities are so rich in history. Arc de Triomphe and Notre Dame Cathedral and the Eiffel Tower, all these things are free, at least from afar. And they're all, we're going to put it up on our website. There's the ultimate walking guide to Paris. And all of these things pretty much flow in a logical walking order where you can do this in a day like we did. And your last destination, which is on the east in the city, is the Louvre. Keep your wallets out because it's hands down worth nine euros every last bit of it. And we would recommend spending at least four hours there. And then our transportation costs, we really only had two things. One, we had our metro tickets within Paris. And in the story, we really didn't get into context with all of the uh, metro stops that we took. We factory took about four metro trips a day. That's, you know, two round trips from the hostel to the city center and then back. You do that twice a day and you're already at about $15. Plus, a ticket to Charles de Gaulle Airport from downtown city center is going to cost you about $10. So all in all, we spent about $25 total on transportation getting around inside of Paris. And most of those stops are going to be pretty walkable to everything that you're going to want to do. We never had to take a taxi or any other form of transportation. Everything that we wanted to do was reachable by the metro. And a lot of the things you'll want to see, such as the Louvre or Arc de Triomphe, are noted by the stop name. If you're ever lost or confused, always backtrack your way to the most memorable landmark. And then from there, it shouldn't be too difficult to find out, you know, get your bearings straight, peek your head above the ground, and then head back down, figure out what you're doing. And then from getting from Paris to Prague, it cost us about a $75 bill and the plane ticket to get over there. There was really no other options considering we did not want to spend another eight hours in a bus, and it probably would have been longer getting from France all the way to the Czech Republic. 
But uh, we really didn't want to spend another day in the bus. And going all the way from France to Prague, $75 was a pretty decent price for that. So at the end of the day, we spent about $152 in Paris, not including our flight to Prague. Pretty much all of that, only $20 shy, was all spent on food and lodging. The only fun expenditures we had were the Louvre. And other than that, Paris, thankfully, is a relatively affordable city when it comes to public transportation. Let's talk about some things that we could have done differently in order to save some cash. Because here at the Red Eye Manifesto, it's not all about traveling. It's about traveling with your wallet in mind. So what are some things that we could have done in order to reduce the cost of that, to bring that price down from $150 maybe to something a little bit more reasonable to people? Go ahead and look up deals for different museums and things that you would have to pay for. And we'll throw that up on our site at redeyemanifesto.com slash France. For example, the Louvre, every first Sunday of the month or Friday evenings if you're under 27, that's free, and these euros add up and add up. So that's nine euros that you saved right then and there. Another example, some of the other things you'd have to pay for, such as Eiffel Tower and admission to Notre Dame Tourings, also offer discounts, which we'll talk about later. So beware, there are discounts to be had if you're willing to work your schedule around a little bit. Another thing you can do is you can keep your student ID at the ready. And if you don't have a student ID, well, you know, consider getting one from a community college or something because when you're over there it's really going to save you i don't want to say hundreds of euros but it's going to save you quite a decent amount here and there just from little things like museums or uh, restaurants or attractions pretty much everything is going to have a student discount and sometimes it's only a euro off and then sometimes it's half off but keep in mind those euros add up and they're going to allow you to save money for things down the road in your trip do you hear that dylan uh -oh! oh no is it review of the week time dude it is for sure time for the review of the week now my favorite part we're going to talk about what sucked and what was epic. Start us off here, Dylan. Let's sit down and talk about a place called Predamanger. Well, as we would learn, it's actually not pronounced Predamanger. It's pronounced Predamanger, which literally translates to ready to eat in French. So, let's talk about what this place did, but they didn't do, and we'll talk about how many mugs of coffee they've earned as a result. So, first off, they have some quick, reliable, convenient food to go. They don't have any, like, fresh made-to-order foods. It's basically you walk in there and they have a bunch of sandwiches wrapped in cellophane and some salads in some plastic containers, and you can get some fresh coffee. But for the most part, you're paying for these sandwiches that were made behind the counter. Don't be scared off quite yet because you think of when food is sitting in cellophane wraps, it's usually disgusting 7-Eleven food. But that's not the case. All this stuff is made that day. It's just cold cut. And like Dylan said, it's familiar it's a chain you know what you're getting into but not only that but the actual experience on top of the food is pretty good because they do offer free wi-fi which can be kind of hard to find in public spots so it's a good place to stop kind of take a break plan out your next move and hop on facebook for a quick second and another thing is when you're ordering food in a foreign country where the menus are not written in english you are going to be quite intimidated by what you're ordering because chances are good you're hungry and you don't want to order something that you're not going to enjoy. So by going to a place like Pret-a-Manger, what you can do is you can actually see what you're buying before you purchase it. That way you kind of cut out the middleman, you get to see what you're buying, and you can pretty much 
you decide for yourself if you're going to like it before you buy it. But it's not all cupcakes from Rainbow, is it? The two things that I didn't really like is it was a little bit on the pricey side. Like, we get it. We're in Europe. It's going to be pricey. But not only that, it just doesn't really have a lot of personality. It's a little too corporate. It's a big chain. It's like going to Panera here in the United States if you're French. That's a great analogy. It's it's cool. It's going to fill you up. It's not the worst food, but it's not a taste of Paris by any means. No, because you can find Pret-a-Manger's. You can find them in London. You can find them in Ireland. You can find them in Spain. You can even find them in the United States. If you go to Washington, D.C., you can actually visit one of several Pret-a-Manger's that are lining the streets of Washington, D.C., at the end of the day, you're buying yourself clean, healthy foods that'll keep you running all day long. And because of this, Kyle, what would you rate it? It's, uh, it's a solid three and a half mugs of coffee. It's a little bit above average. It's quick. It's not really a deal, but you're getting good, consistent food that'll fill you up. And they have free Wi-Fi. Nothing to write home about, but they're everywhere. So when you hear that Pret-a-Manger name, you're going to know it's just good, it's consistent, and uh, think in America. Think of French Panera. Right, and it's better than going to McDonald's that you see in Paris. So, next stop, you gotta sleep, and where we slept was the Woodstock Hostel. Alright, now, let's break this down here, because the Woodstock Hostel did more things wrong than they did right. So, let's talk about all these steps with no elevator. If you are a person who requires some kind of elevator or escalator or lift, chances are good this hostel is not gonna be for you, because you'll have a lot of steps to get up, and they don't really offer anything else besides that. So I have a feeling that if you don't get a room on the first floor, that you're kind of, you know, you're basically gypped out of the opportunity to stay at this hostel. Um, and even still, after a long day of walking, the last thing you want to do is walk up more steps. So keep that in mind before you book. And so much of what we do is Wi-Fi dependent from our flights to talking to people back home to getting our transportation to the next city. And the Wi-Fi here is just really spotty. And that kind of bummed me out a lot because you expect good Wi-Fi at hostels. At least every other hostel pretty much had consistent Wi-Fi that was there. But this only worked in the absolute common area when you walked in. And because of that, there's a lot of people using it. And it's just pretty slow. And on top of that, at night when the guy at the front desk went to sleep, he shut off the Wi-Fi, so you could not get it after a certain time, and I think that was like 11 o'clock. So from 11 o'clock on, you couldn't get... Yeah, like, what is this, 1998? Yeah, exactly. It's like, keep the damn router on at the very least. People can stand around outside and, you know, can stand around in the hallways soaking up that Wi-Fi. Another thing is, like, the blankets and sheets were extra when we went there. I just recently checked their website again, and apparently you don't have to pay for their uh, sheets anymore. But, but when we went there, we absolutely had to pay extra for our linen. And so that was really a turnoff when we went there. But let's talk about the good. It wasn't all bad. It was near Moulin Rouge and the train station, which, as we've talked about a little bit before, Paris can be a little bit spread out, and there's a lot of hostels that I imagine are not a stone's throw from the hostel. So this was a quick five- or ten-minute walk, and it was in a pretty good location at a pretty good price. Yeah, and that price was $25 a night again, and that is in USD, not in euros. Um, but, you know, obviously the prices are going to go up on the weekends, as always. That's, you know, not exclusive for hostels. It goes for hotels and motels. doesn't matter where you stay. Weekends are obviously going to cost you more. 
Uh, and they really did have a decent breakfast. I mean, they had the croissants, the jam, the cereal, milk, juice, and, of course, Nutella. You're going to be hard to find a hostel out there that does not have Nutella as your as one of your breakfast options. Better believe me. I took full advantage. I paid for my night there in croissants alone. I got pretty much, uh, I'd say, about 16 croissants and saved them bad boys for later. So if you can get a place that has uh, a little bit more than a continental breakfast, absolutely worth it. So at the end of the day, we would rate the Woodstock Hostel at a solid 2.5 mugs of coffee. Completely run of the mill. Literally right in the middle. This is a hostel that's going to get the job done. Uh, it's not going to offer you any more perks than one that you could possibly find elsewhere. So really do your research before you decide on the hostel you want to stay at. Thanks for listening, guys. This will be episode... Is this episode 9, I believe? No, this is episode 8. But if you're tuning in late here, um, we got quite the epic trip coming up here. Yeah, again, we are going to be hitting the road here in about 27 days uh, for the Great Alaskan Odyssey, or so we call it. And Basically, what we're doing is we're driving from Cleveland, Ohio, all the way up to Anchorage, Alaska, through the Canadian wilderness. We're going to be driving through the Rocky Mountains. We're going to be driving through the plains. And, of course... We're going to be driving through the Kenai Peninsula, so stay tuned, folks. It's something you really don't want to miss. Not only that, but it's all going to be live, both in the podcast form but also in video form. Podcast will be live the day of or shortly after, and we're going to make a nice little documentary featuring a lot of the scenery and the gorgeous sights of Canada and Alaska. It's going to be a good time, so please stay tuned. We'll have more information on that to come. The Red Eye Manifesto is produced by Dylan Lewis and Kyle Herte. The guide and notes can be found on our site at redeyemanifesto.com slash France. Links to the Woodstock Hostel, Pret-a-Manger, and WhatsApp can be found on that page. You can drop either Kyle or me a line at kyle at redeyemanifesto.com or dylan at redeyemanifesto.com. Thanks again for all of your support, and we'll see you next week. Next week, we're going to be talking about our journeys in Prague and how it's quite possibly the worst day of our lives. So stay tuned for a tragedy of sorts.